Hello, South. How y'all doing? I'm John Rawl, and we are here for the next three hours to talk about what's going on across Dixie. If you have a little y'all in your drawl, you have found the spot on the radio dial. We're here at the Dixie Cafe. It is the intersection of hot water cornbread and hot southern conversation. That's what we do here on y'all with General John Rawl, CSA Certified Southern American. Coming up on today's Y'all Show, we will share with you some of the headlines going on across the news wires of the world, frankly, with Afghanistan getting a lot of attention right now. We'll bring you up to date, especially things going on here in the South, the latest on those awful flooding conditions that happened in Middle Tennessee from the past couple of days. We'll give you a Southern sports update coming your way here in the first hour. And today on our journey across college football, getting y'all set for the start of college football's actual kickoff. Now, we can call the five or six games taking place this weekend as a warm-up act. There's even a Big Ten game going on this weekend between Nebraska and Illinois. The real fun starts next weekend. And in order to get you ready for the start of the 2021 college football season, for all you SEC fans, today we're going to be on the Plains. It's all about the Auburn Tigers, War Eagle, and we will be discussing all the traditions from Toomer's Corner to the War Eagle tradition to the actual bird that flies in on game days at Jordan-Hare Stadium. you got to make sure you don't say it, Jordan-Hare. It's Jordan-Hare Stadium in Auburn, Alabama. From all of that, we will be right here today showcasing the Plainsmen of Auburn as our latest stop on our tour across the southeast, getting you ready for the 2021 season. We also have a couple of political items we'll be sharing with you. Oh, man, is it getting interesting on the Republican and Democrat side right now with the parties lining up. And frankly, I think the Democrats might be taking more heat right now than they have in a long time. And it starts with Joe Biden, the president. This past weekend, Donald Trump was in Coleman, Alabama. I'll share some thoughts from his big rally. Thousands, maybe 50,000 people out in the middle of a field in Coleman over the past weekend. I had a chance to tune in some of that. I will share some thoughts on that big rally as part of our Southern Political Report. It is coming up later this hour. Hour two, we're going to have some entertainment news and notes. We will share with you all the goings-on from Hollywood to Music Row in Nashville. That's coming up. We also have some barbecue talk to fill you in on in hour number two, plus more sports news. And In hour two, we will share with you what is up on the website right now that covers everything Southern? It is y'all.com, the South's homepage. And if you go there, you'll see not only this show posted up with all of our latest episodes, but you'll see so many great articles and more on the way. Y'all.com, the South's homepage. We'll have that coming, a preview at the end of hour two. Hour three today, more news, more Auburn traditions. How about some of the famous alumni of Auburn University? We'll share with you all of that coming up hour two. Plus, Melissa Rhodes is going to be back on duty. She's got a Southern accent on Southern arts and entertainment. That's coming up hour three. Plus, your calls and texts welcome. 803-816-1170. That is how you can get in touch with us here. Anytime you're available, we would love to hear from you. It's very easy. It doesn't matter what the clock on the wall says. We can be doing a show in the flesh, in person, from the Dixie Cafe. 
we would love to, to hear from you while we're here. If we're not here, look, that telephone, it's the darndest thing. It works 24 hours a day, and it works seven days a week. And it, if, if we don't pick up the phone, they got this thing called voicemail, and you can leave us a message, 803-816-1170. And that's also a way you can text us, same digits. Just go ahead and memorize, if you will, 803-816-1170. It is the way to get in touch with the show that is all about the South. This is the Y'all Show. Hope y'all are doing good here as we have this Tuesday edition. I think my day should be pretty good. I've already, so far this day, I'm pretty sure, although I was driving 75 miles per hour, technically 78 in case you're going to go back and double check, I think I saw a bald eagle flying high in the air, and I haven't seen a bald eagle in quite some time. So how about that? That's not something you see every day in the South. And, again, I'm no ornithologist, and this thing was way up in the sky, but I don't think we've got that many birds that fly in this part of the world that have a white head and a white tail. Maybe I'm wrong. And I, I don't think it was any kind of darn hawk or or a, a buzzard, for goodness sakes. I'm, I, I think it was a bald eagle, maybe a smaller bald eagle, because not one not, about a year ago, maybe this time, I saw one down on the ground right when I was driving past it. It scared the heck out of me because I thought it was lawn art. I thought somebody had like an eagle statue in their yard, and this thing was some 10, 15 feet off the road, and its head moved right when I drove past it. And I said, oh, that's a real bald eagle. Beautiful creatures. And we're starting to see more and more of them across the Southland. Thank goodness that's a, a great thing. But, man... We, uh, we it's, it's a beautiful day when you see our nation's so-called mascot flying high. And I, I can't prove it, but I'm pretty sure that's what I saw at 78 miles per hour. So knowing that, my day ought to be pretty good. But then again, you hear the headlines of the world, and you know what's going on across the world, and that'll kind of be a little bit of a downer for you. And unfortunately, I'm going to start our headlines from across Dixie with a real downer story. I'm sorry, but that's... I just read what comes across the wires as crews currently in Humphreys County, Tennessee, are scouring debris for more victims. I mean, this was an awful, awful event on Saturday when 17 inches of rain hit the western end of Middle Tennessee. Humphreys County, the county seat is Waverly, Hurricane Mills also in that area, and they're still looking for a, several survivors of these floods that over 20 people have already been confirmed dead when this thing passed through Saturday afternoon into Saturday evening. And I was told that this thing came and went before you even knew it. If you had been in Waverly around lunchtime Saturday and you would have come back hmm, a couple hours later, you would not have even known this thing would have gone through except for seeing structures being moved and the dozens of people who've lost their lives because this was just a truly the definition of a flash flood that happened this weekend, and it was the most devastating flash flood in the history of Middle Tennessee. I know Nashville some 15 years ago had an awful flood around the Cumberland River, and a lot of homes were destroyed, and there were loss of life in that that flooding, but this this was worse in Humphreys County. And the chief deputy of Humphreys County, Tennessee, Rob Edwards, said, Excavators were moving the largest pieces of debris as search teams started from Waverly and moved downstream from that creek that runs through town. Now, 
we know that more than, right around 10 people, fewer than 10 people, according to the Chief Deputy Rob Edwards, fewer than 10 people are unaccounted for at the current time. But there's still search, searching going on. I know I read a story about one man was found a mile downstream from where his house was when these floodwaters passed through. And sheriff's deputies and police have been aided by crews from agencies all over the state of Tennessee. The teams have cadaver dogs at the ready if they suspect a body might be in the area. Now, in that portion of Tennessee, as well as the rest of the south, we're still dealing with August and summertime heat and temperatures in Humphreys County hovering around 90 degrees. And it's just a very, very unfortunate scene there with all of these bodies being searched for and recovered thus far. The death toll has been revised, though. Authorities, they've revised the confirmed death toll to 18 people today, and that is from down 22. That's what we've reported on. In fact, I just I think I told you it was 22 a second ago, but authorities now revising that official death toll count from the Waverly area to 18, but again, around 10 people still unaccounted for at this point as this flooding from the weekend took out roads, cell phone towers. It took out houses and businesses and more, and people being left about their futures unknown as families have lost homes and everything they have and businesses. I I saw where one downtown Waverly business picked up and moved and put it right in the middle of a gas station, of all things. So, And I think I saw where multiple twin sets of twins also were lost in this flooding from the weekend. Again, I know you can help out. There's ways to do that through the American Red Cross. You can also you can help out by check, checking with the Humphrey, Humphreys County, Tennessee Sheriff's Department as they have a way to call up a simple search to look at how you can help out with survivors. And let's see if I can find a great website that we'll have. I got something actually in from the Red Cross. Let me see if I can't pull that up while I'm doing real-time radio with you here on the Y'all Show. Hope you don't mind. Bear with me. This just came in, and I had not had a chance to read it. So let's see if I can pull this up before I waste too much time. Okay, yes, it's an update from the American Red Cross. As disaster responders from across the state of Tennessee and nation are on the ground in Hickman, Humphreys, and Dixon counties in Tennessee assisting survivors of the August 21st flooding, the area received up to 17 inches of rain in 12 hours, and it's being called the deadliest flooding event in in the entire state of Tennessee's history, that according to the American Red Cross. Again, 17 people confirmed at this time and many more missing. Red Cross is providing sheltering assistance with local partners and the areas that have been affected, and they're providing shelter, relief items, and comfort for people impacted by the floods. The logistics manager with the Red Cross, David Buchanan, said the need is great in Middle Tennessee. He says he's been to many disasters, and this is one of the worst he's seen. He says they have many people who've lost everything they worked their whole lives for, and that they have people who watched as their family members were swept away in floodwaters. This community, he's talking about Waverly and Humphreys County in Tennessee, are hurting, and they're here to help. 
how you can help. Red Cross volunteers are reaching out to assess areas affected to provide support to citizens as many roadways are unpassable still several days after this. If you know of someone in need of assistance, you can call the Red Cross at 1-800-RED-CROSS. Red Cross continues working with their shelter partners, feeding and supplying a safe place for residents to sleep that they have had their homes damaged or destroyed. Red Cross is working closely with local officials in that portion of Middle Tennessee and also with community partners and EMA agencies to assess community recovery items available for residents. Red Cross is also working with the Health Department of Tennessee to provide nursing support for the community's health needs. Disaster mental health volunteers are also on site providing assistance to anyone in need of help. Red Cross is working at the Reunification Center at McEwen High School and have staff on hand to support condolence care. All services of the American Red Cross are being provided with strict COVID protocols to ensure safety for clients, staff, and volunteer workforce. And that includes a mask mandate regardless of vaccine status. Now, for those who might want to go help or if you have loved ones who need help in that portion of Tennessee, this is not just Humphreys County. This is also Hickman County and Dixon County in the state of Tennessee. That's the city of Dixon is a pretty big city west of Nashville. And I think Centerville is Hickman County's county seat. And then Humphrey's county seat is Waverly, I would say, the town that's been hit the hardest in this awful flooding from the weekend. Shelter locations for the Red Cross currently are set up at the YMCA Dixon County. That's on Hensley Drive in Dixon. In Centerville, at the Fairfield Church of Christ. That's on Tennessee Highway 100, famous road that connects Memphis to Nashville, and I think it even goes on to Bristol, I think. But yes, Fairfield Church of Christ in Centerville is a shelter location, and in Waverly, a shelter has been set up at the Waverly First Baptist Church on East Main Street. A reunification center location in McEwen, and that is at McEwen High School on Melrose Street. So please help out the number again to give to help with your funding, with your generous assistance to help all those in need, 1-800-RED-CROSS. And where would we be without the wet Red Cross stepping in in times like this and doing what they do from flooding to hurricanes to I think they go when someone's house burns and they are right there to help out in the process and other things they do all over the world, frankly. What a tremendous organization. I'm going to have to find out if they have a southern connection with their founding. I know... Clara Barton, I believe, is the founder of the Red Cross. I don't know if she was a Southern lady or not. We'll have to we'll have to look into that one here. But again, keep keep the folks in Humphreys County, Dixon County, and Hickman County in Tennessee, as we know they are going through a very very tough time. Now, some positive news on the COVID front, and it comes from South Carolina native Jesse Jackson, as Jesse Jackson, who's been hospitalized along with his wife in recent days as he and his wife both came down positive for coronavirus. Both had been vaccinated, but according to the civil rights guy slash presidential candidate at one time, Jesse Jackson said he's feeling fairly well after receiving care at a Chicago area hospital after a breakthrough COVID-19 infection. 
Jesse Jackson spoke by phone with reporters from Northwestern Memorial Hospital, where he and his wife, Jacqueline, had been hospitalized in separate rooms since the weekend when they tested positive for the virus. And again, Jackson said he's feeling fairly well. He is 79 years old, Jesse Jackson, and he's got Parkinson's disease, but he has been fully vaccinated. In fact, it was about two months ago, he went over to to France, and he was honored by the president of France. Macron gave him one of that country's highest honors. And Jesse Jackson was there to receive that just a few months ago. Now, I did say that Jesse was vaccinated. It turns out his 77-year-old wife, Jacqueline, was not vaccinated. She's been receiving oxygen, is breathing on her own without a respirator, according to family members. We wish them well. We wish everybody who's going through this just horrible, horrible disease that's been spreading since March of 2020, for goodness sakes. Everybody, we hope, will come out of this as well as you possibly can. But more and more, this Delta variant is 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 just a scary thing. And I'm seeing more and more mask wearing and mask mandates and, unfortunately, more and more hospitalizations. I saw today where Arkansas and it could be Kentucky, those two states now have more hospitalizations than the whole time during the virus. And I think they may be out of ICU beds in one or both of those states so we just we just can only hope and wish this thing gets cleared up and out of here as fast as possible. But it's a very, very tough, tough time across the southeast right now. We'll have more headlines as we walk through today's Y'all Show. We'll take a break. Come right back, though, on the Y'all Show. We'll switch over to the world of southern sports. We've got a southern sports update, a big news item from the Atlantic Coast Conference today. We'll share information on that. Plus, NFL teams are making cuts. they got to get down on their roster size. Plus, all of the info coming from the college sports world. That's coming up next as the show about the South rolls on. song welcome back y'all talk with a southern accent with a good kentucky girl miss carly pierce setting up this next segment as we dive into the sports headlines across dixie today and we'll start off with a big story item that's kind of been rumored for a few weeks now and it looks like it might be the wedding coming together and it looks like they might be heading down the aisle 
as the Atlantic Coast Conference, the Big Ten, and the Big 12 have announced an alliance. They are going to work together. Here's the story today out on the wires, the Atlantic Coast Conference, which has a bunch of great Southern schools in the mix there. The Big Ten, which doesn't have a single Southern school outside of Maryland, which is a border state school. And then the Pac-12, these three of these three of the five Power Five conferences, they became official today with the three conferences saying on a collaborative approach surrounding the future evolution of college athletics and scheduling, the three leagues, the ACC, the Big Ten, and the Pac-12, are emphasizing common values and unanimous support impacting key topics affecting college athletes and schools in all sports. Sources say the Pac-12 has been the most aggressive of the three leagues in forming and encouraging the alliance. Now, I still don't know exactly what this means other than perhaps there's going to be a new agreement in terms of scheduling teams from these conferences to face off. I guess they'll have to work through the... Okay, here's what the latest news story about this alliance says. The gist of the alliance which is coming from anonymous sources, so bear with me if this doesn't work out to be exactly the way that this article states. The gist of the alliance, which a source said is in response to the shifting landscape of college athletics, primarily Oklahoma and Texas moving to the SEC, and that conference forming a 16-team super conference. The gist of this new alliance between the Pac-12, the ACC, and the Big Ten is an ability to collaborate academically and athletically among some of the country's highest-regarded research institutions. The bottom line, according to this article, is that there is no immediate or direct impact today on college football. I don't know why they're doing this. I don't know why the ACC, frankly, is buddying up to these other leagues. Because I think the ACC and the SEC don't need to necessarily merge but they need to kind of work together. Let the ACC and SEC be the dominant conferences in college football. They really already are. We all know the SEC is the dominant conference, and that's not an opinion. That's just a fact if you look at all the championships, not just in football but other sports too. But the ACC's held its own. If you look at college football alone, Clemson's won a couple of national titles. Florida State's won a few. So the ACC – can do something that a lot of conference can't, and that's hold up multiple national championships in the last 15, 20 years. And I like the fact that the ACC is right here. And many of our SEC schools already have long rivalries and share the same borders with many of the ACC teams. I don't know if Greg Sankey, commissioner of the SEC, has been reaching out to the ACC commissioner or not. Now, they've changed – Commissioners in the last year, as John Swafford left his role as the head of the Atlantic Coast Conference, the new commissioner is Jim Phillips. Now, Phillips did put out a statement today saying the ACC, Big Ten, and Pac-12 recognize the unique environment and challenges currently facing intercollegiate athletics. And we're proud and confident in this timely and necessary alliance that brings together like-minded institutions and conferences focused on the overall educational missions of our preeminent institutions. Phillips goes on to say, the alliance will ensure that the educational outcomes 
and experiences for student-athletes participating at the highest level of collegiate athletics will remain the driving factor in all decisions moving forward. What are you trying to say, Jim Phillips? Are you trying to say that the Southeastern Conference doesn't care about academics? Is that what you're saying? You know, it could be true. Maybe Jim Phillips knows something that the brainiac schools of the SEC don't know. Vanderbilt, I'm looking at you. Texas, I'm looking at you. Mm, I'm not looking at you, Mississippi State. Um, is he trying to say that the ACC's more elitist from an academic standpoint? I'm sure they have lots of great schools there. But uh, the SEC's pretty proud of what they've got from an academic standpoint. So I don't really know what this really means other than it gets the three conferences, the Big Ten, the Pac-12, and the ACC back into the headlines and giving them a little bit of offensive maneuverings, if you will, countering really a complete curveball. I never thought I'd see Texas and Oklahoma running to the SEC. We know that the SEC tried to get both of these schools in the past, and they had to settle for Texas A&M and Missouri. (laughs) But those are good schools, don't get me wrong. But here, all these years later, the Big 12 is just not going to work out, and Texas and Oklahoma know that, and that's why they went screaming for admission into the Southeastern Conference. And, And the SEC unanimously opened up its arms and said, come on down, horns and Hus, uh, uh, horns and Sooners, we will be happy to bring you in for a 15th and 16th member of our conference. All right, let me tell you about some other college news as we have from Baton Rouge a story out today that LSU fans, if you want to go into Tiger Stadium for that opening game against the McNeese State Cowboys, you're going to have to have proof of vaccination, or you're going to have to show a negative COVID-19 test 72 hours before kickoff. You'll have to have that test. And again, the Bayou Bengals requiring anyone going to Tiger Stadium this year who is 12 years of age or older to show that proof. LSU becomes the first SEC school to outline such a policy, citing a rise in COVID-19 cases and the highly transmissible Delta variant. I think this is going to ultimately be the case for every SEC school. Why not do it? This is a way for each one of these schools to go out now and say, look, we've done our part to try to get vaccinations in our respective states. And I realize the Pelican State was one of the first states to really be sucker punched by this Delta variant in recent weeks. So LSU doing its due diligence. And now that numbers are going up as as far as people who've been vaccinated – How hard can it be if you've been vaccinated to tote along something that shows you've been vaccinated? And I know that gets into some of the speculation of us becoming a country where you've got to have that identity card almost everywhere you you go to show that you are part of the club, that you've been vaccinated. But when you mix in, in the case of Tiger Stadium, 100,000 people crammed in next to each other, many of them throwing beer bottles and whiskey bottles at Bayou Bengal games. I don't want somebody's unvaccinated whiskey bottle knocking me upside the head and, and making me come either up with, come down with COVID or some other crazy illness. Uh, maybe an STD, probably, if it's coming from somewhere in the uh, rafters of Tiger Stadium. Yeah, so LSU becomes the first school in the conference to say you got to have this in, in place. Their home opener for the Bayou Bengals, 
McNeese State is on September 11th. Now, that's an interesting game because I don't know if he's still on the roster or not. I know he was playing back in the springtime. But Ed Orgeron's son is the quarterback of the McNeese State Cowboys. And if he's still in school and not left, how about that? Ed Orgeron will be coaching against his son on September 11th, one of his twin sons. And I think the other twin also went to McNeese. I don't know if he's playing football still or not. But uh, you can't really tell because McNeese State's football jerseys, on the back, they don't have names. They have Cowboys, the nickname for the athletic teams. They have Cowboys on everybody's jersey, which is a good little tradition they got there in Lake Charles. So you won't be able to tell which one's Ogeron or not. According to the CDC, about 50% of adults in the state of Louisiana have been fully vaccinated, a rate that's among the 10 lowest in the United States right now. Again, the story today out of Tiger Stadium and the LSU campus. you got to be vaccinated if you want to go see the Bayou Bengals play at home at Tiger Stadium, where dreams go to die at Death Valley. The one in Baton Rouge, not the one in Clemson. All right, one quick NFL story to pass along here. we got more NFL stories to pass along in our southern sports headlines today. Clemson, speaking of the Tigers and speaking of Louisiana because he's a native of Louisiana and he just finished playing his college ball for the Tigers, Travis Etienne, who is a rookie for the Jacksonville Jaguars, the running back, is likely out for the entire season, his rookie season, with a Liz Frank injury. I don't know exactly what that is. I'll look it up in a second. But according to sources, Etienne is going to miss the entire season after being placed on injured reserve Today, I saw him play in college while he was playing for the Tigers. Boy, was he good. He, he was good from the day he stepped on the Clemson campus. And now, this injury happening in his left foot, it happened during the 23-21 loss that the Jags had at New Orleans on Monday. And test today showing Travis Etienne's injury and the extent of it. Now, in the game on Monday, he caught one pass for three yards and carried the ball once for a yard before his injury against New Orleans. And because of this injury, he's been placed on IR before making the initial 53-man roster. And he will not be allowed to return this season. So he's done his first year. And I don't know if y'all saw any of that game, Monday between the Jags and the Saints, but most people weren't tuning in to see Travis Etienne for the Jags. They were tuning in to see Trevor Lawrence. They were tuning in to see how well he would do in his second preseason game. And I think the jury's out on him. Gardner Minshew, he came in, I think, in the second half, maybe a little bit of the first half. And Minshew, I thought, did pretty well. And how about that final score? I know it's a preseason game, but when Trevor Lawrence was quarterbacking, Jacksonville just couldn't find the end zone, and the Saints took it to them. And the Saints, I thought both of their quarterbacks looked really good, especially Jameis Winston. This guy, he's got a lot to prove with Drew Brees now hanging up his cleats for the broadcast booth. This former Heisman Trophy winner from the Florida State Seminoles, it's his team if he can just do really well at quarterback. Otherwise, they'll have to go to the Swiss Army Knife guy and have him come in and be a little quarterback for him like he's done in years past. But the Jaguars, with unfortunate news, they've lost ETN for the season. They've already cut Tim Tebow. And Trevor Lawrence, they're just barely hanging on, the Jags fans, to your long, stringy hair, hoping you can be the salvation for this franchise. Why does he not cut his hair? 
Why do the Jaguars not cut his hair for him as kind of a rookie rite of passage? Usually before the start of a season in your rookie year, they will make you do goofy things. Remember, if you go back, Tim Tebow, his rookie season in training camp, have you ever seen Google Tim Tebow haircut from roughly 2009, 2010 when he was with the Broncos? And they they went in in training camp, Tim Tebow, back 10 years ago. <laughs> I'm going to have to pull this up here for a second because I frankly can't remember the style haircut this was. Uh, but, boy, they, they made the boy look uh, – they basically shaved the top of his head. He looked like a – a friar, if you will. Uh, pretty crazy. Pretty crazy back 10 years ago. And maybe that's called hazing. And, and I, I, it's, a, it's hilarious to look at, especially if you know how cool of a guy and how awesome Tim Tebow really is as a person that maybe he went along with it and he really didn't have to. But, yeah, they, they, they took, they took the, the shears to Tim Tebow's long flowing hair back 10 years ago and Made him look like somebody out of the 14th century. <laughs> Pretty crazy. All right. You know what? We're going to take the shears and cut through a couple of commercials. And then we're going to take you right to the plains after the break because the Auburn Tigers are today's spotlight school. We're on a tour across the South getting you ready for the start of the 2021 season. And I'm going to tell you about Coach Harson's first year on the plains. And, man, he's not really getting a lot of positive publicity, mostly because of COVID-19 and his attitude also. We'll tell you what is going on with the Auburn Tigers, and we'll discuss his rookie season on the Plains. But this is no rookie coach. He was a proven winner at Boise State. All that is coming up. It's all about the Tigers of Auburn, that is, up next. The South and college football have enjoyed a love affair for more than 150 years. And the Y'all Show is getting y'all ready for the biggest year college football's ever had. We're on a 44-city tour of Dixie's great college football teams. John Rawl is getting you ready when the toe meets leather Labor Day weekend. So get your chin strap on and get ready for today's Southern College Football Tour stop. Here's Johnny. Back into the show covering the South and back into the first half preview of the Iron Bowl. We're going to talk about that other team in Alabama next week. But today, it's all about the Auburn Tigers as we get you set for the Plainsman's 2021 season, War Eagle. Okay, then don't play then. You know, that's one of my favorite college football fight songs. And I know that kind of ended a little bit prematurely. I just can't I just can't handle it. I'm going to have to hear more of that great Auburn football team and its great song, War Eagle. And War Eagle to all y'all here on the show. 
about the Southeast. I'm sorry, I just get a little, I get a little fired up, especially when I hear great fight songs like this one here, War Eagle All Y'all. Auburn and the Tigers with a new coach, Brian Harson, enters year one on the Plains. The former Boise State quarterback who has coached at Boise State, he was the head coach of the Arkansas State Red Wolves. Do you remember that? Just one season he was there in Jonesboro because he took over after Hugh Freeze took off to Mississippi. And Hugh Freeze took off to Mississippi after Hugh Freeze had been coach in Jonesboro. And he was coaching Jonesboro after a guy named Gus Malzahn took off from Jonesboro to a place called Auburn. So how about all those connections coming from Jonesboro to Auburn, although Hugh Freeze has not been to Auburn? He did send his daughter. His daughter was and may still be an Auburn student right now, the now current coach of the Liberty Flames, Hugh Freeze. All right, so Brian Harrison was the Boise State head coach after he left Jonesboro 2014 to 2020. And just to kind of give you an idea of how well he did coaching the Broncos, he went 12-2 and his first year. They won the Fiesta Bowl. They have won, let's see here, four seasons in a row where they went into double digits with their victory total. In 2019, Boise State was 12-2. and They lost the Las Vegas Bowl. But they went 12-2. and And then last year, in that COVID, COVID crazy year it was, Boise State went 5-2, and two. and as we all know, in the offseason, Auburn parted ways with Gus Malzahn. Actually, did they look, did they send him packing before the season was over with? I, I think they might have, now that I think about it. I, I, so much stuff's been turned upside down, frankly. Forgive me for not knowing all the, the timelines of everything. But Brian Harson, as a college football coach, Enjoys a head coaching record of 76 and 24. 76 and 24. He's won a Sunbelt Conference Championship. He has won three Mountain West Championships in his time at Boise State. And he's been a Broyles Award finalist. And Auburn brings this Westerner into this Southern landmark, Auburn University, to be a coach. This is a guy who, other than living in Jonesboro and Austin, really spent most of his time out west in Idaho primarily. And how well is he going to be a fit? How well is he going to do at Auburn? Well, that's the question that everybody, especially in Orange and Navy, are definitely looking forward to finding out because, look, Gus Malzahn, love him or, or hate him, he did a pretty good job at Auburn. He took them to the national championship game. They, they would have won that game had they had the ball last. That was just one of those crazy football games that whoever had the ball last was going to win the game. And sadly for Auburn fans, Florida State got that last crack at it, and Jameis Winston got that touchdown somehow in the closing seconds, and Auburn missed out on a a national championship with Gus Malzahn at the helm in the 2014 season. And again, Auburn, I think what got Gus Malzahn fired was the fact that Auburn is (laughs) always compared to Alabama, and Alabama won a national championship last year. Alabama, with Nick Saban, has dominated. Although Auburn, against Alabama, under Gus Malzahn, did win its share of games. It's not like a thumb was raised while Gus Malzahn was coaching. I mean, they they found a way to win one or two every couple of years they would win, and that's saying something when Alabama, I don't think – 
I'm making too bold of a claim here, is if not the best college football team, it's one of the two best college football teams out playing ball. So Brian Harson hired the Westerner, now a Southerner, and his first season at Auburn is going to be under the microscope. He's being reviewed right now under the microscope for his handling of COVID-19. Remember, he just tested positive, and he's had to be quarantined. And news out today, the defensive coordinator for the Auburn Tigers also has tested positive. And that can't be the best thing for Auburn fans to be reading about just days before. And so Auburn's football schedule for this year, if you break down what they have on tap besides their SEC games and how they start their year, a fairly easy opener. Akron comes into Jordan-Hare Stadium on September 4th. And a fairly easy game week two from Montgomery, the Alabama State Hornets out of the SWAC. I think this might be the first time a SWAC school has played Auburn on the football field. Alabama State comes over on September 11th for an FCS matchup. The Tigers, an intriguing game on September 18th. They go to Happy Valley where Penn State welcomes them in for a game Big Ten versus SEC on September 18th, a game that's going to be televised on ABC. Then the last non-conference game for Auburn, September 25th, the Panthers from Georgia State come over from Atlanta for homecoming September 25th on the Plains. Then it's on the road at Tiger Stadium in Baton Rouge. LSU is the SEC opener on October 2nd. The Deep South's oldest rivalry takes place on the Plains this year. Georgia and Auburn get together October 9th. The Tigers will be at Fayetteville to take on the Razorbacks October 16th. They're back home to take on Lane Kiffin and the Mississippi Sharks October 30th. They'll travel to College Station where a very good Texas A&M team awaits for a game on November 6th. They're back home against Mike Leach's Mississippi State Bulldogs. November 13th is the date for that one at JHS. They're back in Columbia. This is, I think, the second consecutive year Auburn will be playing the South Carolina Gamecocks at Williams-Brice Stadium, a game in 2020 Auburn lost to a Will Muschamp-coached Gamecock team at that time. This year, Shane Beamer is the coach of the battling Roosters from Columbia. November 20th, the game, the date that the Auburn Tigers and the Gamecocks play. And then the Iron Bowl comes that Saturday after Thanksgiving, November 27th at Jordan-Hare Stadium. That is the season finale for Brian Harson's 2020 edition, 2021 edition, rather, of the Auburn Tigers and their football team. And just kind of hearing a little bit of the discussion, I would say that Auburn, for the most part this year, has kind of flown under the radar. This, this is a, a team that's going to have a veteran quarterback in, Bo Nix, back under center. Bo Nix could have easily gone on elsewhere, as so many players do. Of course, he's got orange and navy in his blood, the son of a great Auburn player of yesteryear in Bo Nix. He's making a lot of money. Remember, Bo Nix got one of those first NIL deals with Milo's tea <laughs> and with Nix under center. I think he's likely going to be one of the leaders of the conference. However, the SEC pundits, when they got together in Hoover for SEC Media Days, they did not choose – Bo Nix to be the SEC first team quarterback. So look for Auburn with the talent that they've got with running backs like Tank Bisbee, one of the best 
all-round backs the Tigers have and a very good, very good offensive line. And they also have, speaking of the Gamecocks a second ago, they've got Mike Bobo, who last year served at one time as South Carolina's interim coach. Mike Bobo is part of the Auburn coaching staff now, and he's serving as Auburn's offensive coordinator. So with he's there with the guys who have the experience and more. And again, to Auburn's credit, I haven't heard, maybe you have, I haven't heard a whole lot about this program. And in addition to Knicks, they got T.J. Finley, the LSU transfer, as part of this offense. And then when you start looking at the Auburn defense, I would say that they have a lot out there to prove at Jordan-Hare this year. And I know that in the past they've given up 400-plus yards against a lot of opponents. I mean, Mississippi last year went in there to Jordan-Hare and rolled up a bunch of yards, and Auburn somehow found a way to win that one. But they've added, as a coach on the Auburn side, their defensive coordinator. We told you that they've got Bobo as an offensive coordinator. How about this other former head coach in the SEC? As former Vanderbilt head coach Derek Mason is Auburn's defensive coordinator. And they've had a couple of transfers in. Drashun Miller from West Virginia, a cornerback who comes in with 31 tackles and eight broken up passes on his resume. He is part of the Auburn defense. And then how about the name? I love this guy's name, and I love his performance. He had 73 tackles a year ago. Smoke Mundy is going to be a great Auburn defensive player to be on the lookout for for 2021. Just kind of looking at the schedule, how things will work out with a 12-game schedule set up for this Brian Harson coached team. I would look for Auburn to go just above 500. I think they should be able to get to six or seven wins this year to a bowl. I think it would be realistic what you'd expect. Can this team win the SEC West this year with both Texas A&M and Alabama penciled in by many to be right there in Atlanta to start for the SEC championship? It's going to be tough for Auburn fans this year to stomach it. It's a regime change. That's what you get when you have regime changes in the SEC. You better be happy. You should be going to a bowl. You could be 0-8, and and we've seen that happen at Auburn. (laughs) We've seen that happen in the last decade after a national championship, for goodness sakes. You've seen Gene Chizik lead this team to an over. And unfortunately for Auburn, I think the chances of going 0-8 aren't exactly exempt for you as you weren't one of the elite programs in the SEC. But it can happen to anybody. It's happened to you. But lucky, Auburn fans, I don't think you're going to go 0-8 this year. I think you'll be, again, about a 500 team in SEC play, and you'll win some of those non-conference games. And it'll be the Plainsman off to some bowl game that means nothing at the end of the season. That is my projection. Coming up in Hour 3, we will continue talking about the Auburn Tigers. We'll discuss the alumni of Auburn. We'll also discuss traditions like why in the world did they go around saying War Eagle all the time. We'll discuss that. And we'll also just tell you about how API changed to Auburn University around 1960. All that is ahead in Hour 3. Up next, we'll wrap up Hour 1 of the Y'all Show with a Southern Political Report. And remember, War Eagle! Nobody cares about me Ain't even got a friend Baby's gone and left me 
When will my troubles end? Like night is falling. Oh, I hate to be alone. I keep crying for my baby. But now another day is gone. I've got no one to talk with to tell Hey, we're back on y'all. Got a couple of minutes left here in our first hour. This is the first of three hours, by the way, that we're here talking about what's going on across the southeast today. We wrap up hour one of this Tuesday, y'all, show with a quick look at southern political news going on. And, of course, the south is sitting around watching TV, depending on your political views you might be watching cnn you might be watching msnbc or you might be watching mm, a little fox news maybe a little newsmax these days oh the choices that you all have out there you need to just be tuning in y'all.com and the y'all show for everything that you need that's at least important and right now the story today is that president biden is sticking with the august 31st withdrawal of forces and civilians and more that's one week from today from afghanistan this decision comes amid doubts over whether america can safely evacuate all of its citizens and afghan allies before the first of september and president joe biden today agreeing with pentagon and its recommendation to stick to that august 31st deadline to withdraw combat troops from afghanistan biden's plan comes despite deteriorating conditions in kabul where troops american troops British troops and others are in a hectic scene there trying to evacuate so many people. I think I saw where 12,000 got out in just one day, perhaps, maybe 24,000 in a two-day period. Uh, it's, uh, I mean, I can't imagine the chaos that's going on there. And again, our great troops from this country who serve in positions and posts around the entire world I don't think when they went down there and signed up to go fight in America's wars that they signed up to sit there and essentially determine. <laughs> I hate to get biblical here, but it's almost like they're St. Peter. I mean, they're sitting there making decisions whether people are going to live or die, whether they get on a plane or not. Because if if September 1st arrives and the Taliban, or as Joe Biden calls it, the Taliban, are going to be as harsh as I think they're going to be, if you've been hanging out at the airport for a couple of days doing everything everything in your ability to get on a plane because you're so scared to live in a country run by the Taliban, I don't think the Taliban's going to be very generous come September 1st. And if you don't make it on a plane, your rear is in trouble at best, and you're probably not going to survive. That's just me trying to predict world politics on the Y'all Show. But, again, our great troops out here making those kind of decisions. And I haven't seen, and at least the outlets I tune in besides y'all.com, I haven't seen one report of families who have loved ones in Afghanistan, families from here in this country begging or praying or having vigils. Maybe it's happening, and I just haven't seen it. But in normal conditions, we would see all kinds of sympathetic news of people saying, oh, my son or oh my wife is stuck over there and i just don't know how we're going to get them back and please pray and please send money and 
Have you seen anything like that? I sure haven't. Kind of weird. And perhaps maybe it's because this country is telling families, keep your mouth shut. We're doing everything we can, but if you get out here and start getting television cameras in your yard showing you and your loved one that's in Afghanistan, that's just going to make the Taliban going to go even further to try to find them and maybe kidnap them. Right now, I've seen some people, I think I have to give one of the Trump sons credit on this one. It might have been, usually Donald Trump Jr. is the one that comes up with the greatest little catch lines. But he says, since we know thousands of American citizens are currently behind the wall, they're on the other side of the gate at in, in Kabul. They're not inside the airport compound. That he said, we're experiencing right now the largest hostage situation maybe in world history. That's what one of the Trump sons said. I know certainly in our country. We're talking thousands and thousands of Americans who may not be able to get out of that place, and they've got a week deadline, one week, or else, again, it ain't going to be too pretty. And according to Joe Biden, he's sticking to the August 31st withdrawal from Afghanistan. Now to his vice president. Kamala Harris is on a trip right now to Southeast Asia, and her trip to Vietnam has been temporarily delayed as the vice president's office was made aware of a report of a recent possible health incident in Hanoi, and therefore her trip is on hold. What, what, what does she do? She's already flown halfway around the world, almost all the way around the world, and now she is on standby. She now has a reason to be dodging cameras because she doesn't know what to do. Reporters accompanying the vice president ended up going back to their Vietnamese hotel before being ferried to an airport several hours later. She was supposed to travel from Singapore to Hanoi, Vietnam, as part of a multi-day trip to Asia. According to the administration, her trip will continue. I don't know where she's going to go. She just needs to perhaps go over to one of the nearby American territories, perhaps, let's see here, Guam, I guess, is not all that far. She can go hang out there and try to figure out things there. And according to her spokesperson, Simone Sanders, reporters were told by the spokesperson for Kamala Harris-Sanders that the delay has nothing to do with the vice president's health. She is well, all is fine, and looking forward to meetings in Hanoi, tomorrow so they're optimistic that they're going to continue on in vietnam i don't know but right now harris's asian trip delayed which why is she over there now good lord this is a crisis time for the entire administration plus i'm surprised there's any kind of world travel with this crazy delta variant going around all over the world not a good time to travel if there was a if there was ever a good time in the pandemic this is not one of them An update from Washington, D.C., more Democratic news. The U.S. House has advanced a $3.5 trillion budget, and that ends a stalemate between Nancy Pelosi and centrists. All House Democrats, as you would expect, all House Democrats voted in favor of the spending bill framework, and it clinched the deal against defiant House moderates. Where does this go next? Stay tuned. And it sets up a September 27 House. House vote on the Senate-passed infrastructure bill. But again, the news today, the U.S. House of Representatives passing this $3.5 trillion budget framework. 
that Nancy Pelosi has put out and is leading the charge on. Lastly, we've got some state politics as we wrap up our political report here on this Tuesday Y'all Show. And we've got a good little presidential, not presidential, we got a good little gubernatorial election going on in the Commonwealth of Virginia this year as voters will go to the polls in November and choose a new governor. One of the interesting things about Virginia compared to every other southern state is they elect a governor every four years. It's never on the ballot a incumbent. You've got to give up the seat. But you can run back in the, in, in the distant future. You can go back and try to be reelected. And guess what? That's what you got this year with Governor Terry McAuliffe, the former governor. He's on the ballot this year to try to be reelected. And the latest from the Virginia's the race for Vir- governor of Virginia between Terry McAuliffe and newcomer Glenn Youngkin, the Republican, is right now it's, it's virtually neck and neck in the polling as a new voter poll is out from Virginia Commonwealth University. And McAuliffe is actually getting about 40% on this poll and Youngkin 37%. Margin of error of about five percentage points. And this poll was done earlier in August. It was conducted by the L. Douglas Wilder School of Government and Public Affairs. Again, that's the name of the school after Virginia's former governor, the first black governor in the history of this country, Doug Wilder. And again, according to this poll, it's about neck and neck. In northern Virginia, the most populous portion of the Commonwealth, where it's very Democratic right now, McAuliffe leads Yunkin in that portion of the state, 51 to 24 percent, where Yunkin leads in the more rural portions of Virginia, 52 to 32 percent. And that's going to be the key if he can, Yunkin at least, get some of that northern Virginia commuter-type vote to go his way. As I think if you've been a Virginia resident, you'll be likely for a change. It's gotten extremely liberal, extremely democratic. And like most places, if, if, a, if a party gets way too much power, as the case is now in Virginia, usually after a couple of years, things kind of keep, keep trending back toward the middle. And we know there is a definite divide in Virginia between the northern Virginia and, and then the rest of the state, frankly. And... And I know McCullough, a lot of people don't want to see him elected again. He's already had his chance. Perhaps they want a newcomer. Now, this newcomer would be a Republican, and that's quite a shock. That's quite a different thing with the Commonwealth of Virginia. Again, polling real, real tight with Election Day coming in just over two months. This is Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. That will wrap up hour number one. We've got two more hours of this. Can you can you handle it? I think you can. Coming up after the break, we'll kick off hour two with a quick report on the entertainment goings on of the South. We'll also have some barbecue talk to get to and some sports updates. All headed in hour two of the show that's all about the South. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. We are back from the Dixie Cafe, where, again, we told you hour one will remind you the Dixie Cafe is where hot, hot water cornbread 
and hot conversation about the South collide. I'm John Rawl, and I got that hot conversation about the South lined up here for hour two of our conversation about what's going on in the Southland today. We've got some entertainment news to pass along, Taylor Swift news, Conan O'Brien in the headlines of the entertainment world. Got all that. Plus, we're going to bring in a little barbecue talk in this hour. Woo, what a combo. Stars and ribs. Mm. Before the hour's up, more sports information to pass along. And before we get out of here for hour two, we have an update on what's at the homepage of the South. Y'all.com. All that right here. Hour two of y'all. 803-816-1170. That is the way to get in touch with us here. No matter what you got to tell us, if it's something rather timely and important, we'll be happy to take your text and share it with all y'all here at y'all. And if it's something that you just want to maybe give us a little pat on the back, we'll be happy to have that passed along here. And that's what we are very, very excited to to share with everybody what you have to say. We call this show the Y'all Show for a reason. It is truly y'all's show. How many other shows can literally claim that they're your show in their very show name? Well, that's what we do here at Y'all Talk with an accent on all things Southern. So let's start off this hour with a look at some entertainment news. <sighs> Say it ain't so, y'all. Say it ain't so. Chip Gaines is going to cut his hair. That long, stringy hair, he's going to cut it. And it's for a good cause. Now, luckily, Joanna, his wife, is not cutting her beautiful black hair. That kind of uh, blondish, brownish hair of Chip Gaines, who I think he's going to look, you know, I'm not really into judging guys these days. But I think he'll have a very good makeover, a, a home makeover of sorts, when he gets his hair chopped off for this good cause. The HDTV star and face of the Magnolia Network announced on Instagram that he's taken note of the comments about his very long hair, and he's agreed to get it cut, and he will donate to St. Jude Children's Hospital in Memphis. As he put out, and i got to give Chip Gaines a lot of credit in his Instagram post, he used the Y word. He used the Y word. As Chip Gaines wrote, Wow. Turns out some of y'all really don't like my hair. But I can take it because I've been growing it out for a good reason. I'm going to cut my hair and I'm asking you to cut a check. And let's see if we can raise a boatload of money for the kids at St. Jude. St. Jude has launched a page for donations. I'm going to click on this and see... What the link is, as Chip Gaines is taking a stand against cancer. That is his goal. He's trying to raise $250,000 for St. Jude Children's Research Hospital in Memphis. And I've got some good news. Y'all, we can help out Mr. Long-Haired Chip Gaines. His goal of $250,000 is now less than $60,000 away from being met right now. Drum roll, please. I feel like I'm doing the uh, Labor Day telethon. Right now, the St. Jude effort from Chip Gaines 
is at $191,838. And I'm seeing the amounts come in, $250, $250, anonymous donor. Mona McPeters, she just gave $250. Ruthie Thomas, $250. Anna Acosta, there's a $250 check from her. Oh, man, Bob, no, not Bob, Barb Halpin, one dollars $250 for her. Uh, $228 from Toby Oswald. Toby, thank you for that. People love Chip and Joanna, and they're helping out. They're donating to St. Jude. Now, I don't have a pretty link to tell you where to go on your computer, but it is a link at fundraising.stjude.org, and I think you can link to it here if you go there. Fundraising.stjude.org, and I think there on that page you'll find the link to the specific Chip Gaines led fundraising effort let me refresh the browser here and see if we're not over 191 we're at 192 now see a thousand dollars raised there in just a couple of seconds courtesy of chip Gaines. so to his credit and this is a waco texas based couple that have become the face of their own network magnolia network and they are the american success story chip and joanna Gaines, and now chip taking the cue for for his stardom, if you will, and the Texan is out raising money for a great cause. Joanna, I think you should do something next. Maybe even, you don't have to cut your hair totally, but maybe get a like a really cool little trim. Let's see what she can do compared to him in terms of raising money for St. Jude. Pretty neat story. Thank you, good Southerners from Waco, Texas. Up next here. Another wacky TV-related entertainment story to pass along. And this comes to us courtesy of a guy that I thought had hung it up. A guy that I didn't think I'd hear anything more because I thought he had rode off into the sunset with that beautiful red head and those lanky, weird-looking legs of his. (laughs) But maybe I was wrong about Mr. Conan O'Brien because he's in the news today as he's had a something called a milk crate challenge going on (laughs) and i gotta bring this up okay this is an internet challenge that involves milk crates and pain and it's out on tiktok the milk crate challenge and someone gathers a bunch of milk crates which i don't even know where you can get those these days frankly it's not like the the milkman stops by the house like he used to and drops off This brings back a memory for all of you who are old. So don't tell me if you were a kid growing up when the milkman would stop by your house that you always had that wish that this week mama and daddy and or mama and or daddy, whoever was in the household raising you at the time, that one week you just hope that your parents would splurge and in addition to just getting the milk delivered at the house, they might splurge and get chocolate milk. Ooh, that would be really good. Or, if you're lucky like me, my milkman would bring by as an option for parents to buy for their little kids. Their little good kids, like I was, they had like fruit punch that they would have in the gallon jugs that you could buy back before. All of these other things are available now, like Gatorade and 
the other sports drinks options. But back at that time, you either had Kool-Aid out of a, a pouch you could make your kids or you could buy milkman carried like fruit punch or at least my local dairy man or, or milkman would have on his truck. But there's this milk crate challenge that's all the rage on TikTok. And now, <laughs> thanks to Conan O'Brien, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration is weighing in. O'Brien tweeted about this challenge on Monday, quipping that he will not do it until the FDA approves it. As Conan's tweet said, <laughs> waiting for FDA approval before I take the milk crate challenge. And they responded. The official account for the Food and Drug Administration, I guess they don't have a lot going on there at the U.S. FDA, they tweeted back saying, Although we regulate milk, we can't recommend you try that. Perhaps enjoy a nice glass of 2% and return all those crates to the grocery store with a question mark. That a tweet back to at Conan O'Brien on Twitter over this crazy thing called the milk crate challenge. I guess that goes along with what a couple of years ago the big rage was the ice bucket challenge. And I think that was for mostly ALS to bring awareness of raising money for ALS research. And the Milk Crate Challenge, all the rest, I will admit I have not seen any TikTok videos of anyone doing the Milk Crate Challenge, and that's probably a good thing. But you know what? On second thought, I don't think I've seen them because I don't know about y'all. <laughs> I'm not on TikTok, okay? Not, not at least publicly. Don't, don't, tell, don't tell anybody. All right. Want to let you know about the connection to Middle Tennessee. Hurricane Mills is in Humphreys County in Tennessee, and Hurricane Mills is known for the home of Loretta Lynn. And Loretta Lynn had severe damage on her property this past couple of days with the flooding in that portion of Middle Tennessee, a flooding that has cost the lives of around 20 people, and about 10 people are still missing. Among the dead from this weekend storm that hit that portion of Tennessee. Loretta Lynn's ranch foreman has died in the flooding. Wayne Spears was swept away in the rising waters. And according to a Facebook post from Loretta, she's heartbroken. As she put, there are no words at the ranch today, only tears. Our ranch family is our family. We lost my amazing ranch foreman, Wayne, in this devastating flood. He took such good care of things here on the ranch for us. He's one of us, and the whole Lynn family is heartbroken. Please pray for his precious family and friends. As Wayne Spears was one of around 20 people who died in the flooding that happened Saturday into Sunday in Middle Tennessee, 17 inches of rain fell in less than 24 hours. Loretta Lynn went on to add about Wayne Spears. The ranch will never be the same without him, but he will always be remembered for his ready smile, kind heart, and willingness to go the extra mile for everyone around him. Eventually, we'll rebuild our community, our ranch, our lives, and our homes, but only God could build a man like Wayne Spears. There's just no replacing that. May he rest in peace. And as I said, I saw one story out about Loretta Land's property there. Her ranch was severely damaged in this flooding. And 
her ranch is in Hurricane Mills, around 10, 15 miles away from Waverly, the county seat. Waverly is where it looks like most of the people that were swept away where they live. There's a creek that runs right through the heart of Waverly, and a lot of those homes were swept away, and people died in this awful event from the weekend. But Loretta's ranch herself there was was really, really, really bad. In fact, there's a video out on YouTube showing part of Loretta Lynn's property. Looks like a looks like the Mississippi River, frankly, right there at her dude ranch, I think is what it's called. And right now the Tennessee National Guard and other organizations are leading efforts. I'm not sure where her ranch foreman Wayne Spears lived but probably right there in the area of her ranch. And he looked like a, a great man based on his photos that Loretta Lynn has posted on social media. And what's a little bit, if you, if you saw Coal Miner's daughter, remember there's that scene where dude, Loretta's late husband, pulls up in a Jeep. Well, there's a picture here. <clears throat> Not of dude, but of the ranch foreman, Mr. Spears, driving in the old CJ7 or CJ5. I don't know the exact name of those things. I've actually had a chance to drive those, plenty of opportunities to drive those through the decades, but uh, looks like he had his own Jeep out there on Loretta Lynn's ranch. Just an unfortunate story to pass along here to start out this week. Another country music singer to tell you about is Taylor Swift. She has joined TikTok Perhaps Conan O'Brien could give her a follow. She's joined TikTok, and according to some outlets, her fans may not be all that excited about it. She went on social media on this platform to promote the vinyl edition of her upcoming release of the re-recording of Red, and it's currently available for pre-sale. And she wrote, lots going on at the moment. Red, my version of the vinyl of that record is up for pre-sale on my site. And, oh, I'm on TikTok now. Let the games begin. Hashtag Swift Talk. S-W-I-F-T-T-O-K. The updated version of Red, that vinyl ber- version, is going to be released November 19th, and it's going to have 30 songs on it. And I hate to admit it. I think I'm going to pull it up right now and maybe play as we go to break. I, as a fellow some years ago enjoyed hearing her sing Trouble and I think that song Trouble is on is off the album Red it, it is I Knew You Were Trouble and I I just had to go into iTunes to see if I'd actually purchased the whole album or just that song it looks like I just bought that one song I'm not a guy that usually buys music most of the time music gets sent to me because I have been a country music journalist for a long time. Well, let's just keep it that way. And I, I had to pay for that one, but I enjoyed it. I heard it, on a, uh, I heard it while eating in Pulaski, Tennessee one time, and it was just such a catchy song. I think it was just coming out at the time. I was like, i got to hear that again. Oh, well, I guess I'll have to spend about 2 or $3 to hear it. Well, you know what? I shouldn't feel so bad because just about all of y'all these days, if you don't have the hookup like I do for music, you got to pay for songs. You got to pay two, three dollars, or ten dollars for an album. So here I am complaining that's one of the two or three songs in the history of iTunes that I've actually purchased with my own hard earned money 
but I did that. Now, you can go ahead and spend a little bit of money for Casey Musgraves and not wait until November for that 30-track red vinyl release. Casey Musgraves' fourth album is coming out September 10th. Okay, no, I'm sorry. I got my I got my date right, but it's not for an album. Let me tell you that Monday, Casey Musgraves had a new album that arrived. So it is out right now. Golden Hour, I think is the name of it. I'm sorry. Golden Hour came out through. Starcrossed is the first album of new material from the six-time Grammy Award-winning Texas singer-songwriter Casey Musgraves. It's the first album since Golden Hour, which came out 2018. And she's got, on September 10th, Starcrossed, the film, is going to be coming out. And it is directed by someone named Bardia Zanali. And it's going to be streamed exclusively via Paramount+. Plus. Starcrossed, the film. They even have a trailer for it. I'm going to click on this and see what, what's here. Is it worth, I hope, hopefully, Casey, you won't be cursing here. Let's see what this is all about. Okay. I don't know if I'm going to be checking that out or not, but man, what a talent. Casey Musgraves, the East Texas Absolute beauty, absolute soulful singer-songwriter, uber-talented. Casey, if you're listening, keep up the great work. Starcross, the new album, it's out right now. And Starcross, the film, is going to be arriving again via Paramount Plus on September 10th. Not very long. If you can hang on for just a little bit longer, you can check that film and Maybe you'll have that album memorized by the time the film comes around. And I think there was one other thing I saw that I'm going to try to... Of course, we lost in the last couple of days. Don Everly, half of the Everly brothers, died at age 84. And then we also lost in Franklin, Tennessee over the weekend. Tom T. Hall passed away as well. So just a rough couple of days from a life and death standpoint in country music. But we wish... Everybody, all the best with their new releases and more. And that will actually wrap up our country music report here. As promised, I better go back here and give Taylor Swift a little little love since we don't often play songs like I Knew You Were Trouble here. That wraps up entertainment news and notes here in hour one, or rather hour two of today's show. You know, when Taylor starts singing, I kind of get distracted. I apologize. More of the show about the South is coming up after the break. We will have a little barbecue information. We've cooked up a little barbecue info, and that's coming up next on the show, All About the South. Never been till you put me down. Oh, I knew you were trouble when you walked in. So shame on me now. Blew me to places and never been. 
at XMC, your Xerox authorized sales agent. We manage your printing so you can focus on what matters most to your business. XMC and Xerox now offer managed print services to help businesses keep track of what they're spending on printing and manage their resources to maximize their office equipment. The average employee prints over $500 worth of documents each year. With an organization of 30, that is over $15,000 annually. Let us show you how you can save thousands by contacting us or visiting our website at xmcinc.com. Oh, according to research, 82% of people remember radio ads. That means that 82% of you listening right now will remember that this is an ad for ZipRecruiter. If you're hiring, 82% of you will recall that ZipRecruiter makes hiring faster and easier. And 82% of you will note that you can try ZipRecruiter for free today. But you have to go to ZipRecruiter.com slash free. Yes, free. 82% of you will keep in mind that ZipRecruiter's technology finds qualified people for your job and actively invites them to apply. Who are you talking to? 82% of you will also know that I, um, live with my mom. But the most important thing to note is that ZipRecruiter works. In fact, four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Will you be part of the 82% who remember where you can try ZipRecruiter for free? It's ZipRecruiter.com slash free. Again, that exclusive link is ZipRecruiter.com slash free. How much? Free. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash free. Hey, this is Jimmy Leach inviting you to tune in to my show, The Investigator, every Saturday morning at 9, right here on the Talk of Jackson 93.1. My friend Brad McCoy and I talk about current headlining cases, how law enforcement really works, cold cases, serial killers, and much more. Plus, we'll have special guests like former state attorney generals, private detectives, gang experts, sheriffs and former sheriffs, chiefs of police, and many others. The Investigator with me, Jimmy Leach, every Saturday morning at 9 on the Talk of Jackson 93.1. Caution, listening to this radio station may make you hungry. Good thing we're broadcasting from the Dixie Cafe, WTJS 93.1 FM for West Tennessee. There ain't a four-lane road within 20-something miles of here. Town ain't got a Walmart and never ever will There's a church and a filling station where you get your gas Then there's Dixie Rose Deluxes Honky Tonk Feet Store, Gun Shop, Used Car Beer, Babe, Barbecue, Barbershop, Laundromat Oh man, Trent Wilman music here on today's Y'all Show. I had the good pleasure of being flown many years ago to Austin, Texas to see a Trent Wilman slash Miranda Lambert introductory showcase right there at Stubbs Barbecue in downtown Austin. I would say Miranda, her success has worked out pretty good since that little showcase in Austin. Trent Wilman, just like most country music artists, like most artists, period, it just doesn't work out. I know he's probably out still making music, but when you roll the dice on a music or entertainment career, chances are that that dice is going to come up not very good in most cases. But what a great song there. Dixie Rose Deluxe's Honky Tonk Feed Store Gun Shop Used Car Beer Bait Barbecue Barbershop Laundromat. (laughs) What a name. Trent Wilman, check that out. A Texas Tech alumnus. The Texas native Trent Wilman there. Now, let's move over from talking about the Lone Star State to 
the first state. How about Delaware? How about, as we talk a little barbecue, what in the world does barbecue and Delaware have in common? Not a whole lot, frankly. I got a question for y'all. Who is the most famous person from the state of Delaware? I know most of you are really ready to call in right now. 803-816-1170. Oh, I know that one's easy. Most famous person from Delaware, 803-816-1170. That's got to be Joe Biden. I'm going to make a case. No, you're wrong. And I know you're wrong when it comes to people that were born in Delaware because that's who I'm about to talk about. I think the most famous person that is a Delaware native is Valerie Bertinelli. Born in Wilmington. That's that place that Joe Biden claims. Born in 1960, the actress and TV personality who was once married to Eddie Van Halen. The 61-year-old Valerie Bertinelli. Her daddy was a General Motors executive and then went on to get on TV shows and more. One Day at a Time was one of her past productions. And Valerie Bertinelli, certainly a a recognizable face for her long career that she's been an actress, as she's been up and going since a kid. She got her start in the early 70s. Now, why am I talking about Delaware, and why am I talking about Valerie Bertinelli on a show about the South? That's because, to Valerie Bertinelli's credit, she has posted at foodnetwork.com a pretty cool recipe. Homemade barbecue potato chips. It only takes about 40 minutes to get these bad boys served up. So, again, this almost southern girl, Valerie Bertinelli, to her credit with a great little recipe that you can go to foodnetwork.com and, and, and read it all about it. you got to have paprika. And, again, she grew up the child of a combination of Italian and English ancestry. I think her father was Italian. Her mom was of English descent. Well, I know the Italians usually have really good food. So Valerie is sharing this recipe, homemade barbecue potato chips. you got to have a deep-fry thermometer and a mandolin. What in the world is a mandolin? I know what a mandolin is, but a mandolin, what? that's a new one on me. A mandolin is some kind of slicer, I guess, to slice potatoes. (laughs) Mandolin, a culinary utensil used for slicing and for cutting things like carrots and potatoes. Did not know. See, I failed cooking. And I failed cooking the the broadcasting of cooking. I'm definitely failing here today, but got to have a mandolin and a deep fry thermometer to make these barbecue potato chips, courtesy of Valerie Bertinelli. Instructions include filling a bowl with paprika, sugar, salt, onion powder, chili powder, and more. Slicing the potatoes about 1 16th inch thick and slicing them on a mandolin. You put the potatoes in a large bowl of cold water and agitate to separate the slices and release release the starch. So it's got four major steps involved in the cooking of this thing. But ultimately, 
you fill a large wide pot with two inches of oil and heat over medium high heat until a deep fry thermometer registers 300 degrees Fahrenheit. And then you put these things in there, about a quarter of the potato slices you put in there and you fry until golden brown all over, which is about four minutes long. Then you transfer the chips to a prepared mixing bowl. In the end, you put the seasoning mix in a sleeve and dust it over the chips, gently tossing them so that they coat evenly, cool completely, and eat immediately, or keep in an airtight bag or container up to one day. You don't want to be trying to compete with Lay's on your homemade barbecue potato chips. They have a very short shelf life. But how about that? A pretty simple 40-minute total cooking deal that will serve. It has four servings. Valerie Bertinelli's homemade barbecue potato chips. The recipe is up at foodnetwork.com. If you want to dive in to some chips as you get ready for the start of college football. We got college football this weekend, a couple of games, and some more next week. So go ahead, bookmark that Valerie Bertinelli recipe for chips, and maybe, just maybe, next Saturday when you're sitting around trying to find your favorite game on the TV, you can mix in a little barbecue potato chips that are homemade, and you can thank Delaware's own Valerie Bertinelli for a great recipe. And we'll take a little pat on the behind, too, the Y'all Show giving you the great information that you need to enjoy game days or whatever you've got planned. When the Y'all Show comes back after this break, we will be switching over from talking about barbecue to talking about sports and more. We've got some NFL goings on. That and a little golf news as well is headed up right after the break. on talk with an accent on everything southern i'm your chief accentuator john rawl and we're accentuating the south each and every day on y'all talk with a southern accent we kick off some southern sports news here for hour two talking about this brand new marriage a alliance is what it's called 
between the Atlantic Coast Conference, the Big Ten, and the Pac-12. Today, the three conferences, they come together on a collaborative approach surrounding the future evolution of college athletics and scheduling. That's the big story again from today with these three conferences looking to partner more from an not just athletic standpoint, but also from a academic standpoint, it sounds. I don't quite know what to make of it. I'm going to let the dust settle before I really weigh in about how this thing is maybe an assault against the Southeastern Conference after the SEC recently announced it was going to add Texas and Oklahoma to its roster of member institutions, pushing it to now have 16 members in the Southeastern Conference. But here's a clip. I just got this in from these three different commissioners talking about the alliance. So I can't help you with the voices, but I just know that the three people you'll hear in this clip are commissioners of the Pac-12, the Big Ten, and the Atlantic Coast Conference. And here these three amigos are talking about their new – I didn't think you could have more than one wife, but evidently it's okay to have two wives in this case as each conference is going to be bringing on two fellow soulmates (laughs) into this alliance that they're now forging. In the history of college athletics, one expansion of a conference has usually led to another, to another, and to another. And to the three of us, we felt the stabilization of the current environment across Division One and FBS and in, in Power Five in particular. This was its chance for a new direction, a new initiative that I don't think has ever been done before and felt that that was the most appropriate step at this current time. And we're proud of it. We really are. And, um, and I think we all believe this is the right step in order for all of us to move forward at a critical juncture. Again, when you talk about a new governing structure, the 21st model of the NCAA, Alston, we're all dealing with that. So we're better together than we are separate. But I think you have to have a group that, that really understands that expansion doesn't mean you, you end up changing membership across multiple conferences in a significant shortened period of time. All right. That, again, was a Zoom teleconference between the commissioners of the ACC, the Big, uh, Big Ten, and the Pac-12, and the guy you heard primarily speaking was Pac-12 Commissioner George Klabakov. He was the main one speaking in that little clip we just had, and he's new on the job. This is a guy that actually came over to the Pac-12 from Las Vegas. He had some kind of job, I think, in the casino industry there. I, I think I'm right on that. And now, again, these three conferences joining together on a collaborative approach now, how's this going to sit with the Southeastern Conference? How's it going to sit with Mr. Paul Feinbaum, Memphis's own? Well, guess what? We've got a clip coming from the Paul Feinbaum show today where he weighs in with his thoughts on this so-called collaborative approach between the ACC, Big Ten, and Pac-12. In the past, I'll just point you to last summer, for uh, for a point of reference in alliances, usually uh, in years past, the SEC's closest friend 
among conferences has been the ACC. Uh, I think in 2008, the ACC and the SEC tried to get the uh, plus one enacted. It didn't work. As far as alliances, the SEC and, and the Big 12 have been close over the years. Uh, the, the Sugar Bowl tie-in uh, the, the, between the Big 12 and the SEC, the, the Big 12 SEC Basketball Alliance, that's all over now. Uh, and what, what all these other leagues are saying is the SEC has left us behind. To me, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing for proud conferences like the Pac-12, well, let me, let me scratch that, like the Big Ten and the ACC to join with the Pac-12 and pretty well admit that we're having to combine forces to compete with the SEC. And I still I cannot wait for the explanation next week when these commissioners get together about why they left out the Big 12. That's where all this began. Uh, the SEC allegedly raided the Big 12. Uh, but these guys are not backing them up either. All right, that again from the prophetic Paul Feinbaum on his SEC Network show weighing in from an SEC lens a SEC perspective on this news today about an alliance between these three Power Five conferences, the ACC, Big Ten, and Pac-12. <laughs> uh, pretty, pretty, pretty low but accurate blow, Mr. Fe- Paul, Mr. Paul Feinbaum threw to the Pac-12. There, how about out of the Power Five conferences, Pac-12 and Big Twelve? have hardly anything to stand on. I mean, it might as well be the power three. And some would even say it ought to be just the power one with the SEC because the Pac-12 and the Big 12 really have just just uh, struck out in so many ways. Some more sports news here today. LSU announcing that if you want to go see the Tigers at Tiger Stadium, in addition to hanging out in the parking lot all day and getting uh, full on jambalaya and plenty of adult spirits, you also better be walking in with proof of a vaccination or you better have a negative COVID-19 PCR test 72 hours before kickoff at Tiger Stadium. That, the first SEC school to announce that you're going to have to be vaccinated or have proof that you don't have COVID-19 if you want to enter a game at Tiger Stadium. Look for that to be duplicated across the SEC member institutions in the coming weeks. Now, on Monday, we had the last round of the golf tournament held right beside Lady Liberty, the Northern Trust. This third round of this tournament was held Saturday. They pushed back the fourth round instead of being played Sunday right in the middle of Tropical Storm Honore, which soaked Long Island, and it soaked the golf course. They pushed back the final round till Monday, and so we didn't have a chance to report on the final results. But congratulations to American Tony Finau. He won his first PGA Tour event in the continental U.S. I remember watching Tony Finau win his only other golf tournament. He won the Puerto Rico Open about six years ago, and in a playoff against Aussie Cameron Smith, Tony Finau, who had tied Cameron Smith with a 20-under score after the completion of 72 holes, goes into the playoff and gets a victory over Cameron, and what a great win for the Utah resident. Tony Finau 
wins this first leg of the FedEx playoffs that are going on right now for golfers. John Rahm, the Spaniard, he finished third. He led a lot of this tournament. But in the end, a very powerful back nine for Tony Finau in that final round got him into the playoff, and he uh, gets the victory over Cameron Smith on the playoff hole, and he gets the big payday. $1.7 million Finau captures after winning the Northern Trust. This week, the tournament moves on, the FedEx playoffs, to Baltimore as Caves Valley Golf Club hosts the BMW Championship, where John Rahm won that last year. A purse of nearly $10 million is up at this weekend's BMW Championship, leg two of the FedEx playoffs. You'll be watching that, assuming they don't have any problems with weather going forward. An NFL update, Jacksonville Jaguar rookie running back Travis Etienne, the rookie out of Clemson, he is done for this season as he has an injury that has placed him on injured reserve, and he got injured in the game on Monday night. His left foot got hurt in the Jaguars' 23-21 loss at New Orleans, and now he'll be done for the entire year. No way he'll be able to come back on the roster. Rookie running back Travis Etienne of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Unfortunate news for him as the NFL preseason week two now in the books, and he is done for the year. When the Y'all Show comes back, we have a quick look at what is up at y'all.com going forward. If you want to head on over to the South's homepage, we've got some great articles and some things I think you'll enjoy not only reading but sharing with all your friends and neighbors and all the folks down at the local tavern, perhaps, that you might be going to later today. we got some doozies. I'll tell you what they are when the Y'all Show comes right back. If I put my arm around you, if I touched you on the shoulder, would you rest your head on mine? If I took you out to dinner. All right, last segment here for hour two on our journey across the Southland. We're back here, and hey, in the South, we love good conversation and we good love our good websites. And let me tell you about the South's official homepage. It's y'all.com. It's the best four-letter word besides L-O-V-E. It's the second best, I guess, word out there. Love followed by y'all. And y'all.com, four little characters, Y-A-L-L.com. That's the South's homepage. Go there right now. We've got some great feature stories, including how the South is coping with population growth from COVID-19. That's a very well-written and very academic story coming from Ainsley Lawrence. Did a great job with that one. You'll also see some of the recent Y'all interviews, some of the show interviews that I've done here for the Y'all show, including a conversation I had with the patriarch 
of Davila's Barbecue in Seguin, Texas, Pitmaster Adrian Davila. I've recently had a chance to talk to him, and that interview is posted right now at the homepage of y'all.com. And we also have, since college football is around the corner, we have the Battle of Southern Football Traditions, and you can look and learn and watch some of the great traditions of the University of Georgia and the University of South Carolina. It's the Gamecocks versus the Dogs. And you can go way in if you'd like at y'all.com. All that is available right now, and it's all free of charge at y'all.com. And don't forget to go follow us and like us on Facebook. It's y'all.com on Facebook. More of the show about the South. Hour 3 is headed up next. Back into the final hour here on the Tuesday Y'all Show. I'm General John Rawl. And I am the General of All Things Southern. And I appreciate y'all taking the time to be with us here for one more hour as we walk through the headlines. we got some news headlines coming in from the South, including a study out about turkey gobbling. And what in the world do turkeys have to do with the weather? I'll tell you about that in just a second. And I know we had a political report in hour number one, but we've had two breaking political stories since we were into hour number two. And I'm going to fill you in on some stories coming out of both Arkansas and the state of Georgia. Number 34 is going to run. Run. And boy, boy, was he a runner in the day. I don't know how much of a runner he is now. I'll tell you about number 34. In just a second, that's part of our news headlines to start off Hour 3. We'll also tell you, speaking of great runners, we're going to tell you about the Auburn Tigers. How about Bo Jackson? How about Cadillac Williams? A pretty good running back from some 20 years ago on the Plains. Those are some of the great players. Don't want to leave out the original Heisman Trophy winner, Pat Sullivan from Auburn University. And just uh, Cam Newton, better not leave him out. But how about the Auburn Tigers today in our, this final hour of our Tuesday edition? We're going to take you to the Plains. I'll tell you about Auburn University and the role it plays within the heart of Dixie. I'll discuss some of the famous alumni of Auburn University, not just all the many, many athletes that have come out of Auburn, but the people like Tim Cook of Apple is an Auburn alumnus, and so many more Auburn. I mean, Auburn's everywhere. I've been on about every corner of the South, and I can't escape that Auburn logo anywhere you go. I've been in fellow SEC towns, and I'll see that Auburn logo just about as much as I'll see the hometown team's logo. (laughs) People love their Auburn Tigers. They like that Alabama Crimson Tide team, too. But Auburn is our special spot today as we're on a 44-city tour getting you ready for the start of college football's opening weekend next weekend. And that is coming up a little bit later. Melissa Rhodes, she's got a southern accent on arts and entertainment. That's coming up this final hour. And don't forget, you, or should I say y'all, can be part of y'all. All you got to do is pick up that telephone and text us. 803-816-1170. We are ready to share and share and share 
whatever's on your good old deep fried mind. 803-816-1170. Again, the Y'all Show is powered by the homepage of the South, y'all.com. Looking again at headlines for the Southeast today, the big story continues to be the death toll coming out of Middle Tennessee. And it's uh, if, if there's any positive at all, they've actually lowered the toll of people who've been killed from Saturday's flooding in Humphreys, in Dixon, and in Hickman County in Tennessee. All these counties are technically Middle Tennessee. They're all on the western end of Middle Tennessee, straddling essentially the Tennessee River right there, the border between Middle and West Tennessee. These are technically east of the Tennessee River. And Waverly, the county seat of Humphreys County, seems to have gotten the brunt of the deadly flooding. But crews using chainsaws and heavy equipment are continuously going through these three counties, clearing their way for survivors, any kind of signs of life. And they're having to go through not only trees, but vegetation, debris, garbage, just just yuck, absolute yuck. And they're looking for any kind of survivors. There's about 10 people that are still unaccounted for from this devastating flood. The worst and deadliest flooding in the history of the state of Tennessee from this past Saturday. Sheriff's deputies and police are using crews from agencies all over the state of Tennessee. Cadaver dogs are also helping out. And it doesn't help that we're in the summertime, and it's just absolutely brutal out there going through this horrible mess, a mess that includes, unfortunately, dead Tennesseans. The chief of police of Waverly, Tennessee, Grant Gillespie, said at a news conference that some people who were in the emergency room and died of natural causes were mistakenly added to the count. That's why there was, as at one time, a reported 22 people that died from the flooding from Saturday. That death toll now has been lowered to 18, but there's still about 10 people missing as this flooding. It's, a, it's, a, it's just an absolute mess. It's taken out roads. I think I saw where some of the bridges are messed up. You have telephone lines, you've got electric lines down, and people are really, if, if they got away with their lives or their loved ones all got out of there, they still, in many cases, have friends who've lost their lives or lost their homes. And this thing came out of nowhere. I watched weather over the weekend, and most all of the weather pundits were focused on tropical storm at one time hurricane Henri as it was aiming toward Long Island and Rhode Island and it did go in there and it created a lot of problems in the northeast but this thing was just really really terrible currently GoFundMe pages are being established to help pay for funeral expenses for the dead and that dead includes seven month old twins that were swept away from their father's arms as they tried to escape I think the father also died in the flooding from Saturday. Just a very gruesome, horrible news story we've had to share across the southeast this week. We also are sharing across the southeast the rising numbers of COVID-19, specifically the Delta variant. And the governor of Arkansas is out 
talking about it today. As he says, the natural state's vaccination rate needs some work, but the most recent numbers are, as he said, not bad. And in a public update on COVID-19, Governor Asia Hutchinson says there were approximately 11,000 doses administered within the last 24 hours. Arkansas's health leaders are stressing the need for more vaccination as the state's health system utilization is swamped. About 50% of the state's ICU beds are occupied by COVID-19 patients. Again, that coming today from Asia Hutchinson in a press conference as he's trying to get his state somewhat stabilized in this latest update on COVID-19. Governor Hutchinson also noted a call with the White House COVID-19 response team regarding the latest on booster shots. The team projects booster shots are going to be available to those who are immunocompromised starting on September 20th. Boosters will be available to individuals who received their second dose of the initial vaccine at least eight months ago. So January, if you got a, a if you got your second shot back in January, which if you go back in time and you put on your memory booster shot for a second, in the early months of the vaccination being available, I think it wasn't wasn't it originally for people 65 and over, and then they kept dropping it bit by bit, and then ultimately it got to be available so much so that the places that had the vaccine couldn't get people to come in and get it. And I remember back in May when I got my second shot, the place I got mine called me and said, sir, can you cancel this particular appointment you have? Because you're the only person scheduled the entire afternoon coming in for your second shot. And we'd rather do this when we have other people coming in around the same time period. So it wasn't but a day later I had to go in and get it. But, man, what a, what a crazy time. Boosters available, uh, again, according, according to what's coming out of Arkansas today, these boosters and their availability apply to the Pfizer and Moderna vaccine recipients. Johnson & Johnson has not announced the need for booster shots at this time. I think most people did get the Pfizer or Moderna shot. And I've only heard about the Pfizer coming out with a my booster. I, I haven't heard a word about Moderna, although I'm not necessarily memorizing every press release coming out about COVID vaccination shots these days. Governor Hutchinson of Arkansas says the Arkansas Department of Health is also sounding the alarm for anyone ingesting ivermectin, an animal dewormer that can be prescribed for humans for safe use. The Health Secretary of Arkansas Jose Romero says some people have taken this ivermectin that's intended for animals to treat or prevent COVID-19. The health department says poison control calls are beginning to roll in regarding people getting sick due to ingesting ivermectin. Dr. Romero says people should only take ivermectin that have been prescribed to them for human use. Hmm. All right. Ivermectin. There you, uh, uh, take it only if it is prescribed. You don't want to get sick or die from taking something that 
Perhaps animals were the only people intended, <laughs> only people, animals were the only things intended for that drug perhaps to be used for. I don't know. Not a vet. I'm not a doctor either. I don't even play one on radio. But I do play radio host. And in the last hour, as we just had a political report to wrap up our one today, we've had a breaking news story today. He's going to do it. I can't talk about this story without pulling up a an audio clip from, I think, 1980. Because i got to have the right sound effects when you do a story about this fella. And this one, this one ought to be good. Okay, so we're going to take you back to 1980, to Neyland Stadium, 1980. Get ready. Get set. Because there's a reason. Okay, maybe, maybe I don't have the right clip here. Hmm. That's not what I'm looking for. I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and pull it up right now, starting with this clip. Tennessee crashing off one side. We pitch it to Herschel. Going to get him out. Ten, eight, seven, five. Herschel, Herschel Walker. All right, Herschel Walker. Touchdown against Tennessee, 1980. Herschel Walker is running for U.S. Senate. Number 34, a New Jersey general announcing today he is running for the Peach State's Senate seat against Democrat Raphael Warnock. This is for 2022. A friend of Donald Trump is Herschel Walker, a former employee of Donald Trump as Mr. Trump at one time owned the New Jersey Generals of the USFL. And after teasing and contemplating that he might run, Herschel. Oh, you Herschel Walker. I believe that was one time what Larry Munson said about number 34. He's putting his momentum behind politics. Herschel Walker, 59 years old, is going to run as a Republican on the 2022 ballot. He's not made public official announcement about his candidacy, but he's filed paperwork with the Federal Election Commission to establish a Georgia residence after living for years in the Dallas area. Now, Donald Trump has said that Herschel Walker would be unstoppable as a Senate candidate. How about that? Now, this seat that Raphael Warnock has was once held by Kelly Loeffler, who was appointed to that position after, oh, what was his name? Um, I've already forgotten his name. He's still alive, but his health conditions forced him to resign. Isaacson, Johnny Isaacson, Sonny, John, Johnny Isaacson. And then you had Purdue at the same time. Well, Purdue lost. He lost to Purdy Boy, the, the new Democratic senator in uh, the 2020 election. John Ossoff. He lost to Ossoff. But maybe the biggest surprise with Kelly Loeffler not being able to win against Raphael Warnock, a, a newcomer. And Warnock was a Democrat. And obviously the Democrats at least supposedly did pretty well in Georgia in 2020. But remember, Republicans get so much grief about not having women. You know, women, 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 women. The suburban women have to vote. Well, Kelly Loeffler was a heck of a suburban woman. 
she was an owner of the Atlanta Dream WNBA team. She stood up against the WNBA when they came after her. She could have easily folded and turned more moderate in 2020, but she, she went more conservative. But she still was a woman. She lost, or supposedly lost, to Raphael Warnock in that January runoff. And now Herschel Walker is throwing in his jersey into the fight. This former Georgia Bulldog who played from 1980 to 1982 before going on to play for the USFL's New Jersey Generals. And then he ultimately would go on and play for the Dallas Cowboys, the Vikings, the Eagles, and the New York Football Giants. Herschel Walker inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame in 1999. And how about Herschel Walker? It looks like headed to the ballot booth to be a potential U.S. Senator for the state of Georgia in starting in, I guess, 2023 if he were to be elected in 2022. And Herschel Walker... Remember, this is a guy who I don't think still he doesn't lift weights, but his exercise regimen is he does push-ups and sit-ups every day, push-ups and sit-ups that equal over 1,000, I think. The 1982 Heisman Trophy winner, the 1980 national champion, a two-time pro bowler, but Herschel Walker is not in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He's only in the College Football Hall of Fame. I think he ought to be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Come on. Come on, Canton. Let him in. Although he's not helping his cause by teaming up with, oh, my God, Donald Trump. Oh, he can't be friends with Donald Trump. By the way, Herschel from Wrightsville, Georgia. That's in Johnson County. Pretty much smack dab in the middle of the Peach State. Wish him well. And how about if Herschel Walker gets elected to the U.S. Senate? He's going to be right next to Tommy Tuberville of Alabama. I'm trying to think, and, and Joe Manchin is a former West Virginia Mountaineer quarterback. So you're going to have, assuming all those fellows win, and they all, in Manchin's case, decide to keep serving, it's going to be pretty football-centric in the United States Senate if it all works out that way. 59-year-old Herschel Walker looks like he's running, not for the end zone, but for Capitol Hill, Washington, D.C. All right, lastly in our headlines of the Southeast today, a new study is out from the good folks at Mississippi State University and their Forest and Wildlife Research Center. And MSU researchers have found that wild turkeys do not like humidity. Hmm. I have been wondering about that my entire life. This study from Mississippi State was conducted in response to concerns that Mississippi's turkey season was not timed properly. Setting hunting seasons is the responsibility of the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks, and that agency has traditionally instituted a statewide seven-week spring harvest season for turkeys, but hunters have argued that there are different peaks in gobbling activity across the Magnolia State, meaning that the turkey season should open and close at different times in different parts of the state. But this research shows that turkey hunters might not know what the heck they're talking about. Turkey hunters in the southern part of the state thought the season began after peak gobbling activity ended, while North Mississippi turkey hunters thought the season began too early before turkeys began their 
ritual vocalizations and courtships. Oh, the love season of turkeys. The data suggested that weather influences gobbling activity and the existing hunting season covers peak times of turkey activity across the state. They're talking turkey in Starkville at Mississippi State University. The data indicated that no changes were required to the turkey hunting season framework established by MWF, MW, M, I'm sorry, MDWFP. While turkeys have different peaks at the geographic ends of the state, both peaks are captured by the hunting season. In the year 2021 in Mississippi, the fall general turkey hunting season extends from October 15th through November 15th in certain counties. The general season in the spring, March 15th to May 1st. So it ain't turkey hunting time right now in the state of Mississippi. But I will tell you another hunting story. Maybe our fishing forecast guy, Craig Faulkner, is listening, and he's loading up his luggage, getting ready to head to Octibahaw County or some of the other great counties like Atala or perhaps Alcorn or maybe even into Jefferson Davis County, Mississippi. I will tell you, while you have to wait a little bit for turkey hunting in Mississippi, alligator, why am I putting an R in there? Alligator hunting season in Mississippi opens in three days, August 27th. You can go get a big old whopper as MDWFP, that would be the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks, announces that the season will open at high noon on August 27th and will continue through high noon on September 6th. The application process for the 960 available permits is out there. And so you got the chance to go alligator hunting. You got to have a permit. There's a $2.34 fee for alligator hunting in Mississippi. And I don't think you can go get any more applications because they started the application process back in June. But the season actually begins this week. Gator hunting in Mississippi. I know that's something you've always wanted to do all you across the south. And there's there's some pretty big ones. There's some pretty dang big gators in just about every county of Mississippi. I've not seen them in all of them myself, but I've, I've seen a few. I may have told you this story. I was down in the Jackson, Mississippi area one time golfing, and I went and got my ball out of a hole, and I didn't live in the central part of the state. The thought of an alligator had not even crossed my mind when I went looking for that golf ball. And when I got to the clubhouse, the guy asked me if I saw him, and I didn't know what he was talking about. When I finished up on hole 18, and he said, you didn't, you didn't see the big one? And I, I didn't know what he's talking about. He said, yeah, back at hole number 17, we got like an 11-foot gator in that pond. You didn't see him? I said, no, I didn't see him. And I went up to the edge looking for my golf ball. And again, since I was kind of just kind of in the area visiting, the thought of an alligator never even crossed my stupid mind. And so just saying, whether you go officially alligator hunting or you're out hunting for a golf ball, be careful of them big old whoppers that Mississippi has. But we know that gators now extend in just about every southern state. They're all over North Carolina's coast, South Carolina. They're in Tennessee now. Got them in Kentucky, I think. Arkansas's got a few. Yeah, 
Check it. And I know Texas has massive alligators, so be careful. I heard there's even gators in Florida. Goodness gracious. More of the Y'all shows up when we come back. We're going to tell you about the Auburn Tigers, about the university, about famous alumni and the great traditions. War Eagle is up next. The Y'all Show is on the road and stopping by 44 of the South's great college football towns as we get y'all ready for the start of the 2021 college football season. Tailgates, traditions, fight songs. Can you feel the excitement? Here's Y'all Show host John Rawl to fire y'all up with today's great Southern College Football Showcase. And thank you for that nice intro. Today we're on the plains the loveliest village of the plain. We're in Auburn as the Tigers are our latest stop on our tour across the southeast, getting you set for the 2021 college football season. And in this segment, our last hour of the Y'all Show, we're going to discuss Auburn University. We'll let you know about some of the famous people who have attended Auburn University. And we'll tell you about traditions like Rolling Tumors Corner and War Eagle. And speaking of a little War Eagle, here's that famous song. And before we get out of here, maybe I'll be able to recite some of the words of that song, one of my favorite college football fight songs. I'm sorry if you hate Auburn. I won't go down as the world's biggest Auburn fan, but I'm a fan of that song. I'll admit, I'll admit, all you Alabama fans. That's a, that's a catchy tune right there. I'll, maybe I'll share some of the words with you. Let me tell you about Auburn University. It launched back in 1856 as East Alabama Mayo College. This university located in Auburn in Lee County. That's East Alabama. Not all that far from Columbus, Georgia is where you'll find Auburn University. It started out as this private liberal school, liberal arts school, affiliated with the Methodist Episcopal Church South. Then it became a land-grant school due to the Morrill Act, and it became the first agricultural and mechanical college of Alabama. Then it changed in 1899 to API, and that was its name for a long time, Alabama Polytechnic Institute. And I love that name, API. There's still a radio station in Birmingham with the call letters WAPI. But in 1960, the university became Auburn University. And it was usually called Auburn even when its official name was API. Today, Auburn University, under the direction of President Jay Goge, has an enrollment over 30,000. There are... 25,000 undergraduates and another almost 6,000 doctoral and master's students roaming the Auburn campus in one of the great southern college towns, supporting Auburn and the Tigers and more. And when you look at Auburn today, it does represent that classic southern college town. I've had a chance to go right there. I think it's College Street or College Avenue that goes right through the heart of the small town. And when you factor in just in the SEC, the Auburns, the Oxfords, the Starkvilles, 
And I don't think there's a single SEC East town that's in a small town. I think they're all in pretty big size towns, if I sit here and think about it. But there's some SEC West towns that are pretty darn small. And Auburn, Alabama would be one of those small towns. But just a great, great scenery. The landmark building there is Sanford Hall. And that's kind of the, the, the logo, if you will, of Auburn University. And Auburn draws so many students from all over the country, but mostly from the South, mostly from Alabama, which, of course, it's now a public college in the state of Alabama structure. But, man, Georgia just loads up Auburn with students, too. And Auburn has such a huge presence in the metro Atlanta area, and it is one of the South's leading schools. I went to an Atlanta Braves game two years ago, the weekend Auburn played Oregon in the Chick-fil-A kickoff game. And they timed it to where the Friday night game of the Braves against the Pirates was an Auburn fan night. And there were about 35,000 Auburn fans all wearing their orange and blue, and they all got really cool Atlanta Braves hats that were in orange and had the Auburn logo on them passed out. And, and of course, I know they were all in town to see a football game the next day, but it just shows you how passionate Auburn is about its, its university and its football team. Let me tell you, some famous Auburn University alumni. Boy, do they have a list, a list so big and so illustrious that I'm going to have to count on fanbuzz.com to help me out. They've come out with their list of famous Auburn alumni, and I'll just have to go off their top 12. Coming in at number 12, this guy's a pretty famous fella. He's even been to the family farm, the Rawl family farm in South Carolina to uh, film a a little episode a couple of years ago of his cooking show, or he did some kind of show. Taylor Taylor Hicks is who we're talking about, American Idol guy, Taylor Hicks from Birmingham. He is an Auburn University alumnus, and he's also the guy that sings the theme song for Paul Feinbaum. How about the 1971 Heisman Trophy winner, a guy who just passed away in the last year, year and a half, Pat Sullivan, the first Auburn Heisman Trophy winner. Of course, played football for Auburn and had a stint in professional football before getting into coaching. He at one time was the coach of Baylor, and for a long time he was the coach of the Samford Bulldogs, Pat Sullivan. Number 10 on the list of famous Auburn alumni. You know they must have quite a list of famous alumni when the Big Hurt comes in at number 10. The Big Hurt is on my television set almost every time I cut it on. Frank Thomas, the great Chicago White Sox player and a former Auburn baseball player, a former Auburn football player, Frank Thomas. And he's number 10 on the list of famous Auburn alumni, the Big Hurt. Number 35, but number one in your Auburn fans' hearts. <laughs> number 10 on the famous Auburn alumni list. How about the founder of Wikipedia, Jimmy Wales, is an Auburn alumnus. i got to look this up. I never would have guessed the founder of Wikipedia, first of all, would have even been an American, but an Auburn man? Yeah. Huntsville, Alabama's own Jimmy Wells, born in Huntsville in 1966. This guy's got the unusual distinction of having degrees from both Auburn and the University of Alabama. (laughs) 
and he is the chair emeritus of Wikimedia. Jimmy Wales, I never knew that. Auburn alumnus. When we talk about high tech in Auburn, Jimmy, congratulations. You're number nine on this list of famous Auburn alumni. I think there's one higher than you that's going to come in and might be a little bit more recognized than you, Mr. Wells. Number eight on this list of famous Auburn alumni, Megan McCarthy. Do you know who Megan McCarthy is? Okay, I give up. She's a YouTube star. Megan McCarthy has over 2 million followers on YouTube and over 120,000 followers on Twitter. She is a screenwriter, and one of her most famous works is being the My Little Pony TV series. A screenwriter. And she and her almost Auburn orange fake pink hair that she's put out on social media, Megan the Miniature Pony is her Instagram. Megan McCarthy is number eight on the list of famous Auburn alums. Number eight. I'm sorry. Whoa. Number seven on the list of famous Auburn alums. Again, according to fanbuzz.com, Octavia Spencer is an Auburn alum. Octavia Spencer, Auburn class of 1994 is an actress. She's received honors from the Golden Globes, the Oscars, and the Academy Awards. She's best known for her roles in the movie The Help, Hidden Figures, and Gifted. Octavia Spencer, an Auburn alum. Octavia, if you don't mind, I'm going to embarrass you just a little bit more and talk about where you're from. You are a native of Montgomery, right down the road from Auburn. Octavia is now 51 years young. She went to Jefferson Davis High School. Go Jefferson Davis. I hope they're still called that. And went on to Auburn University, Montgomery, before she moved down the road to Auburn's campus in Auburn, where she majored in English with a double minor in journalism and theater. Octavia Spencer, according to reports, has dyslexia. And... She got her start as an intern on the set of The Long Walk Home that had Whoopi Goldberg as the main actress. Octavia Spencer, Auburn alumnus, and she comes in on this list at number seven on the list of famous Auburn alums. And I've seen a picture of her wearing her throwback Auburn War Eagle shirt. Pretty cool. Number six, man, how can we outdo Octavia Spencer when you talk about famous Auburn alumni? How about Mr. Cool himself? is an Auburn University alumnus. Now, I knew this guy grew up just down the road in Tuskegee, but I did not know that he evidently studied at Auburn University. Lionel Brockman Ritchie, Jr., the 72-year-old versatile singer-songwriter, just cool guy with the Commodores and more, studied at Auburn University. How about that? I did not know that he is listed as an Auburn alumnus, but he did. He grew up on the campus of Tuskegee, some 15, 20 miles down the road, but at some point he studied at Auburn. He's listed as an alumnus of that school. So Lionel Ritchie, War Eagle to you, sir. Another famous Auburn alumnus. I told you you'd get another 
guy that's been pretty good in the world of computers and more. Auburn University is the alumni, is the, is the alma mater of Mr. Tim Cook, the head of Apple. And I see a picture that Auburn put out not long ago of Tim Cook getting a nice selfie with Albie, the Auburn mascot. Tim Cook graduated from Auburn in 1982 and took a position as the head of Apple in 2011. He's been on that uh, job as head of Apple for 10 years. He took that job a few months before Steve Jobs passed away. And he is unapologetic in his love of his alma mater. He loves the Auburn Tigers. He gets back when he can to go to the Iron Bowl and support Auburn. Tim Cook, War Eagle to you, sir. Up next is a guy who got his collegiate start at the University of Florida. But you could say he saw all the light and moved on to the Plains. Cam Newton, Super Cam, is on the list at number four, according to FanBuzz.com. Cam Newton, who won the 2010 Heisman Trophy winner, the number one draft pick by the Carolina Panthers in 2011, and had a fantastic career in Charlotte, was the NFL Player of the Year in 2015, I think it was, and still playing Cam Newton. And he likes them Tigers. And I think Cam has gone back over the last few years and maybe got his degree. I, I think he's done that. But uh, what, a, what a career Cam Newton's had. And he is, according to fanbuzz.com, the fourth most famous Auburn alumnus. Another athlete of Auburn history and a true spokesman for the Tigers, Sir Charles, the round mound of rebound, Charles Barkley is an Auburn University alumnus. Of course, he played. He actually played something called basketball. A lot of people at Auburn don't even realize they got a pretty good basketball team and a good basketball history. And Charles Barkley was part of that 1980s era of Auburn basketball, went on to have a great career in the NBA and the Birmingham area native, who was actually the SEC Player of the Year back in 1984, is a war eagle. Did you realize the number two alumnus of Auburn University is perhaps the South's coolest guy. Jimmy Buffett started out his collegiate career at Auburn University. He was a Sigma Pi pledge at Auburn. I think he either flunked out or decided to take some time off as he also went to Southern Miss. Jimmy Buffett, number two on the list of Auburn alumni, according to fanbuzz.com. Sure enough, I'm looking at a photo of the fraternity that he pledged Sigma Pi and there is his picture, J.W. Buffett. Nice 1960s looking haircut on Mr. Buffett. I believe that was before some extracurricular activities started being a part of his lifestyle. (laughs) But an Auburn pledge there, Sigma Pi Mr. Buffett. So the number one Auburn alumnus according to this list and I don't have any doubt this guy is pretty darn famous. Bo Jackson, Mr. Heisman Trophy winner at Auburn, alongside Cam Newton, alongside Pat Sullivan. Bo Jackson is one of the most famous Auburn alumni, and according to fanbuzz.com, he is Auburn's most famous alum. Starting as a freshman, he led Auburn to a victory over the Alabama Crimson Tide, something they had not done in a long time under Coach Pat Dye, a consensus All-American two times while playing for Coach Dye at Jordan-Hare Stadium. He went on to play for the Raiders and had that famous 
game against the Los Angeles Raiders at one point. Bo knows was a big catchphrase Nike used back in the 1980s. And I've had the great, great fortune not to just meet Bo Jackson, but he actually came to my office one time and gave me a really cool Bo Jackson card with his signature on it. Not bad. I'm not making that up. All right, let me wrap up talking about Auburn with some of their traditions. Boy, do they have some good ones. First off, one of the traditions of Auburn is what the heck's their nickname? They got the Tigers. They've been called the Plainsmen. Are they War Eagles? What is Auburn? War Eagle is Auburn's battle cry. Auburn has never referred to any of its team as Eagles or War Eagles. To the Auburn family, it's very simple. We are the Tigers who yell War Eagle. And the story on War Eagle is whether you're shouting it or watching the eagle fly or singing the Auburn fight song, War Eagle is more than a statement. It's a greeting. It's a battle cry. It supposedly has its origins in the Civil War. As supposedly a Confederate regiment out of Alabama had some kind of bald eagle that was a war eagle that they took in the battle. That's what I've been told. And frankly, I think Auburn's done like a lot of schools. They've kind of wiped out some of that uh, legend and or maybe it is absolute truth, but they're not necessarily publicizing it in today's climate. But that's what I've been told. That is what I have been told through the years. There's actually, according to their website, multiple legends of how the name War Eagle got attributed to Auburn. As I said, their fight song is called War Eagle as well. And I told you, I promised you, I threatened you that I might just sing along to one of my favorite college football fight songs. And I'm going to do that right now. So bear with me for just a second as I'll do my best singing of the Auburn fight song called War Eagle. And listen closely as you'll hear me shouting out these words. And I'm not an Auburn guy, so all you Auburn people, bear with me if I butcher some of this. But I'm just going to give it my plainsman best. (laughs) War Eagle, fly down the field. Never to conquer, never to yield. War Eagle, fearless and true. Fight on, you orange and blue. Go, go, go on to victory. Strike up the band. Give them hell, give them hell. Stand up and yell, hey, War Eagle, win for Auburn, power of Dixieland. How did I do? I think I did pretty darn good, actually. Yes, that's the fight song of Auburn. And again, part of the tradition at Auburn is the rolling of Tumor's Corner. Some crazy Alabama fan kind of put a little bit of a... Uh, uh, a damper on that some years ago. I'm not going to go into that. The nickname of the community, the loveliest village. That is certainly a good place and a good description of Auburn University. And if you haven't been to a game, if you haven't been to Auburn, please do yourself a favor. It's certainly a classic, great Southern college town. And there you'll find a great mascot, a wedding in Albany. The fans, Jordan-Hare Stadium rocking the eagle flying in before kickoff is a really cool sight to see. And today on the Y'all Show, we have been very honored to tell you about the Auburn Tigers, our latest stop on our tour across the southeast. When we come back on Y'all, we're going to start putting an orange and navy bow on today's show. Melissa Rhodes has a quick update on the southern arts and entertainment scene. That's coming up next. War Eagle! Southern Accent 
Here's what's entertaining the South from y'all.com. I'm Melissa Rhodes. One-time Altus, Arkansas resident Paris Hilton is back on the worldwide spotlight. The 40-year-old socialite media personality and original social media influencer has a new Netflix series with millions of views. That's one of the top streams this month, Cooking with Paris. Perhaps it was the life skills learned more than 15 years ago in Arkansas while filming The Simple Life that helped Paris in the kitchen. Here's a sample of her prowess making lasagna all by herself. I actually brought these, so if I was going to cut onions, I'd wear them. Usually I do that when I cut onions. kind of helps with tears, I don't know, ruining your mascara. You always need to make sure to check on the sauce, because if it gets burnt, then the whole thing is ruined. Paris Hilton's also got a new podcast, This is Paris, which offers a blend of personal content and conversations with her family, friends, and other celebs. Entertainment headlines and more at y'all.com. All right, Melissa, thank you for that great information. Paris Hilton with a new podcast and a hot new cooking show. Uh, must-see TV, perhaps, for the former Altus, Arkansas resident, Paris Hilton. We're going to be wrapping up the Y'all Show just after this timeout. Stay tuned. we got a little bit more to pass along. We're the Y'all Show. We have reached the the bell, if you will, for our Tuesday Y'all Show. Thank you very much for being on. John Rawl will be right back here on Wednesday with three more hours of telling you what's going on across the Southland. Nobody does it like we do. We cover the South, the news, the sports, the politics, the cooking, the tradition, the entertainment, and more. Coming up on the Wednesday Y'all Show, we will have the North Carolina Tar Heels. That will be our featured college as we get you closer and closer for the start. We'll get you ready for the start of the 2021 college football season. The Heels will be our featured school. We'll also have Melissa Rhodes with a report on Southern culture. We'll have a Southern business report coming your way on the Thursday, or rather Wednesday Y'all Show, and a good look at the top books that are being sold across the country right now all that on wednesdays y'all thank you for being a part of the show our podcast available at y'all.com